Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. So in the aftermath haze of the French Open week after, there were two big stories that emerged in tennis this week. The crazy one was Sam Querrey booking it out of Russia on a private jet after testing positive uh, for COVID to avoid Russian health authorities possibly hospitalizing him and his family. But the one that will have the biggest impact on the sport overall, at least stateside, was the news. You may have seen this week that Tennis Channel is going to control just about every tour event outside the three Grand Slams in terms of broadcast rights, taking over ESPN's long-held rights to show some big marquee North American events, the Masters events like Indian Wells, Miami, Canada, Cincinnati, really making it so Tennis fans will be able to find tennis, live tennis on Tennis Channel all the time, just about outside of the three Grand Slams they don't have full rights to, which are Australian Open, Wimbledon, and U.S. Open. But it also means that tennis will be found largely only on Tennis Channel, with less exposure on general sports networks like ESPN, as well as the already diminished presence tennis has had seen dwindle on general entertainment free-to-air networks like NBC or CBS in recent decades. So this news is a big win for Tennis Channel, for sure. So to talk about it, I have on the show this week, Tennis Channel's chief executive and chairman, Ken Solomon, recently off the plane from Paris, where he was at Roland Garros, the one Grand Slam, which Tennis Channel has big broadcast rights to show. Ken and I talk about a bunch of issues related to Tennis Channel and the broadcasting and growing of tennis. And gosh, there was a lot more. I wish we had time to cover, had somewhat limited time constraints during this recording session. And as you can tell, Ken likes to talk about this stuff a whole lot. So there Many, many more grounds to cover, hopefully have him back on the show at some point. But for now, here is the first NCR visit of Tennis Channel Chief Executive, Ken Solomon. Very excited to be joined on this episode by Chairman and CEO of the Tennis Channel, Ken Solomon. Fresh, maybe not feeling fresh, but recently off the plane from, from France in the French Open. Ken, how was, how was your time in Paris? Oh my gosh, Ben, it was incredible. Uh, and it was incredible being there. And we were lucky enough to be one of only two actual broadcasters on the grounds so it was who didn't feel the same not having you there and uh <laughs> i mean literally us and the other guys didn't have to commute too far because it was uh france television but it was really in every way an extraordinary experience from the tournament itself to what the fft did to just paris and to pulling off a major the way we do that in the middle of you know the, the, the pandemic so what was it like for you? You guys, obviously, French Open is your biggest property in terms of rights. It's your Grand yeah. Slam that you have the rights to. What were your thoughts when it made the move in back in March, I guess, pretty early I, on to the, the big shift to fall and how that was going to affect your year and everything? I um, I got woken up by um, Emily Montagnier, who is uh, the, the, the deputy in charge of all such things that mm -hmm. we do, media and a longtime friend and colleague who said, uh, we've met, and it was in mid-April, right? And you'll know the date. And we said, she said, here it was 6.30 in the morning, and she said, um, we're going to move to this date. And, you know, I the index cards went through the head in about, you know, the, the microseconds, and I thought, everyone's going to be pissed off, and it's a really smart move probably overall that has a chance to save this thing. You know, and there were a couple axes, not only the uncertainty of the world in April versus yeah. now, but and Wimbledon had other issues, but they had to stay out of the way of that. But 
just the fact that they also had to finish that site. And they had literally taken the wrapper off many buildings the day before the tournament started in, you know, October, basically. So, yeah. it, so it, in every way, I thought it would be controversial. Everyone would be angry because obviously, you know better than I, there's a lot of stakeholders in this sport. Mm-hmm. But then it was bold and and smart. And I think it ultimately saved Roland Garros. I don't know how they would have done it otherwise. So this is a weird question to ask you as a TV person, because I'm sure your first instinct is to say nothing. But what could you see or sense on the ground of being at this very unusual, very unique slam that maybe we didn't see from people watching it from afar? How did how did it feel to be there? What did what did did it feel different than it might have come across on screen? Do you think? Oh, I think very much. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how it came off on screen, though. I did watch some, and I was in the control, obviously, in our control room, in our trucks, in our yeah. it's a building, as you know, a three-story building that we have on site, and watch some of the local coverage as well. I, you know, in one way, Ben, it was. It was so different in every way. It was like an alternate reality almost. Mm-hmm. It felt very real, first of all. This didn't in any way feel like something less than Roland Garros. That site is gleaming. It is, you have Court Simone Mathieu, you have, you know, the, the Moyer out there, which are the buildings from the 17th century that have been brought back to perfection. The bullring was gone. It was perfect. And there were some people there, just not a lot. But what it felt like, because you could go anywhere without crowds, but some people, was like a Disneyland version almost of, because you had the whole, you had all of Roland Garros almost private, but with enough people to still make it real as opposed to something that felt like a rehearsal, right? It felt very, very real. Then you had the roof and you had all kinds of other things, but to see it without a lot of people, but some to give perspective was really remarkable. And at the end of the day, and at the end of the event, it it felt like you had been part of something even more epic than a major usually feels because yeah. of the lift it took to get it done and the political forces and the, just the superstructure of Paris around you going through what it was going through. For sure. So I want to have you on, obviously, a bit on the French Open, but also because there's big news for Tennis Channel this week coming off of the French Open. I, unrelated to the French Open, not, yes. exactly, not exactly related, but this news that starting next year, you guys will have even more rights to big tennis events during the tennis calendar, picking up rights that used to belong to ESPN for what were the later rounds of Indian Wells, Miami, Canada, Cincinnati. So you guys pretty much have everything on yes. the tennis calendar now, with the exception of, of three Grand Slams. Uh, so Australian Open, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open. But except for those six weeks of the year, it's pretty much you guys are the destination for the yes. whole tennis year. What does what does that mean to you to have this <laughs> increase? Because that's a big that's a big increase in terms of big yeah. ticket items, and you guys being a, a one stop shop for uh, for tennis during the year. On a personal level, I will tell you this: I was walking out of the stadium back to our village when Igis Swiatek won. And she was giving her speech, and I heard her over the over the mic uh, coming out of Chartrier as I was going through the Place de Musketeer to get back to our trucks. That she, she said, "Wow, I like I, you know, I trained and everything to get to this point, and I, I I fought, and I yes, I visualized it, but I don't really know what to do now. Like there's this moment when we have been. This is the culmination of everything, and not that we're done. And I'll talk about that in a second, but." 
this really is in so many ways so much bigger than just a, a another deal it is it, but I, I i i actually didn't feel that way until yesterday hmm. and the announcement came out as you know at the beginning of the week for a lot of reasons but it took because we had been fighting for it for so long and because we're inside and you know i'm getting it really hit me yesterday last night and this morning i started getting notes from people you know, people who work with us are on air talent hall of famer who they knew but just the gravity of it and the accomplishment um and it's it's not you know it, it means i can tell you what it means to tennis channel but i think i really believe and i think we all believe here that what it means for tennis as much as the tennis channel is something that is going to be transformational yeah, and so it's really special and to have that combined with the WTA as you point out and we may not have control those other three majors but we're there we're there in Australia we're doing live prime we're doing we are doing you know a lot of telecasting from from there and from Wimbledon we're 14 hours live and obviously you know we're on, we're live on site at open not the same but that thread goes through every day of the year but We'll talk more about it. You can ask me questions, but I, I have to say that it's, I am so, we're all so excited about what the future now can be because we can finally do it the right way. So let's back up. This is your first time on the show. Just a little bit to get your origin story of the equivalent to you and Sviantek when she was a young girl in Poland for taking a racket. <laughs> when you were, when you were a young tennis channel executive, just starting off a network, what did, yeah. what was your vision for what you wanted tennis channel to become? You know, th this is this is certainly a a, a highly evolved. I, I think it's a rare case where we far overshot what I wanted, but in concept it was the same, which was that tennis tennis had ha has obviously had a history that is longer and richer than almost any vocation you mm -hmm. can think of as a pastime, not just a sport. And it is really the oldest continuous. I mean, obviously, this ancient Olympics and all that. But, but substantively, tennis as it is played today has been around since longer than bike riding. You know, I was, <laughs> it's remarkable. And so, but there was this period where you you well know, and everyone who listens to you knows that the media began to determine the fate of the of the scale of a sport and where mm. it would go and what it could be. And because of what tennis is, it was held back some, right? People never got to see 95% of the tennis played in the, it, and I say of the tournaments played, when you get within that, even a major like Roland Garros, even the Open or Wimbledon, but let's just take the US Open. It was really for years and years and years, middle weekend and finals. Yeah. And so that continuum, which is what's so extraordinary about the sport, whether it's one week from going from 32 or 64, or, you know, or two weeks at 128 or 10 days at 64, it's that dynamic of going down to one at the end repeatedly over the course of a year with intertwining tours and events is a remarkable thing that you have never been able to enjoy yeah. fully. People would talk about outer courts, right? Oh my God, I go to a major and I get to see all these things. And now you look at where we are. It's the evolution, not only of seeing all of it, 
but actually across multiple platforms that let you choose and see it going on simultaneously around the world and how it all affects it. This is, this is a huge thing I think that younger viewers and younger tenants fan listeners to the podcast also probably take for granted. I mean, I'm at an age where I remember <clears throat> plenty of when it was a big deal of when a network, usually ESPN2 or something like this at this time, would have like a quarterfinal from uh, even like a Miami or something. They only right. have like one quarterfinal that you get to see and then you get to see semis and final usually, but generally right. nothing, not much before that for even the bigger events uh on the regular tour and now you people get upset when there's not a first round doubles match streaming oh, on court we get 17. these things that say how come you didn't show me the hamburg you know the outer court quarters and it's because there wasn't a tv camera there but there will be next year you know yeah. and uh, or please get tennis channel plus because you'll get to pick that in anything you want shameless plug but you know the beauty is and i think you hit it and you know our head of communications who you know eric abner who has been you know, one of the many people who have absolutely gotten us here and lift, helped lift all of this up has said, said this phrase once years ago. He said, the technology is finally catching up with the sport. Yeah. The sport has everything there is. It is single elimination between two substantively similarly suited players who are not allowed to talk to anybody else. We don't know how long it's going to be. Someone's going home in a body bag. That is inherently entertaining, as you well know. And so, and it is, it, the crazy thing, Ben, is we do all of this. And I've been in a, a program, you talk about origin story. I was at Disney and Fox and Paramount. I started at Paramount as a kid, literally as a kid in Universal. I've worked for Spielberg, uh, like the really smart people and programming of all sorts. And no matter what you're making, whether it's a movie or a show, at some point, an audience a fan says, yeah, I've had enough for now. Yeah. That just doesn't happen with tennis. When we get to the end of a major, and we have been three weeks, because now we do the qualies as well. The first, the inclination is, I I feel sad. I want more. I, yeah. I, I, I And the good news is you will have it. <laughs> you will have it that day. So it's it's really very unique. And all the things that that hurt tennis during that middle ages period, right? Kind of 70, really 80s, 90s into the early 2000s and obviously are now the great advantages. The technology finally caught up with the sport. Eric Abner was right. And now we can actually, it's not just slicing the onion thinner. You must have it. We have people like you doing podcasts, talking about the sport and in, in an entertaining fashion, the stories are literally endless. You can say that about any sport, but it is tennis is different in the way that the format works. And it's beautiful for what we have available to us today. And one of the things in the technology, obviously, is having a tennis only network, which allows you, they said, this endless scope because tennis is a sport that I think for general purpose and general entertainment networks, whether it's a network like NBC, which does French Open finals and shows all sorts yeah. of things, or even an ESPN, which is a pan sports network. Tennis, I think, can be a tougher thing to schedule and to fit in and to program for, because if you look at, like, the example I often cite, it's like in the previous version of Davis Cup, for example. On the final day of Davis Cup, you could have the relevance be over after three sets, or you could have it go ten sets, right? right. If you get both matches exactly. on the last that's day going exactly along, right. and that's, a, that's a crazy amount of variability to have to plan for and program for as a network, and it's a tough risk to have to take there. You guys have, that's not a problem for you if basically, if that Davis Cup is your flagship thing for this day and you can move 
things around it. But for other networks, it, it can be an unruly thing to have to try to to fit into a a, a cir- you know square peg in, in a circular hole you're, kind of thing. You're you're more right than most viewers will. That that is a that seems like a clean but close analogy. But when you don't know, first of all, prior to roofs and all that, when yeah. you don't know whether a match is going to be one hour or five hours. And even tougher, it's sequential play starting. There's only one, maybe two start times a day, which is the first match. So if Roger, Serena, Rafa, you know, pick your favorite, there's a lot of great ones to pick from right now. When is that match on? When's Coco Goff going to be playing? She's third on. When's that? After second. How long's that? I don't know. How well that's after first. How long's yeah, that? Exactly. I don't know. And so it literally was impossible. And what happened was that the networks and even the, you know, first the broadcast networks and then even the single sport or the multi-sport networks, you would have to either on purpose or just by the way you programmed, you would diminish everything else to make whatever you were showing feel like that was the most important thing, right? That there's That's a natural way to program and promote, right? Mm-hmm. And we've got the big match. CBS would make the middle weekend of the US Open feel like the semifinals, yeah. right? But they didn't pay a lot of attention to anything that happened up to that point or anything that happened between it and the finals, but somehow you felt like, and it proved the point, right? That, and so, but here's the thing. We've learned it. We've proven it. You were there, Washington, D.C. You were there, uh, you know, the first year when we took over the whole thing where we had shared it with ESPN. It was a great partnership and we cross promoted and we handed off. The handoff no longer is really what most viewers want when we have presented that entire story. It's literally like saying the entire NFL season is a playoff game or two, and, and then the Super Bowl. Well, I need to know what the hell those guys did to get there or yeah, the WNBA yeah. finals. It is the journey, except that that journey happens every week, every day, Monday through Sunday, or Monday through two Sundays later. And there is not much like that in the world of programming, entertainment, sports, that has that kind of continually continual benefits. It's so exciting. You know, you, you, the storytelling element of it and the character development stuff. And obviously NCR, the podcast we do, you know, are part of this people who might only watch tennis when it's on the networks. Let's say, you know, the non tennis channel networks would have very little idea go before this weekend who Iga Sviantek was. You exactly. might've heard, and even for some tennis fans, she's a deeper cut. So she's a tough example, but you would have heard her on, if you'd followed or, it more closely. Or, or Cannon for that tennis channel. Or yeah, who's played. I mean, yeah. who's in a phenomenal story. Obviously, one Australia, our fans have known her for years, and we have profiled her, and she's a member of the family, and they've seen yeah. her on our air this year, even during COVID and some of the reopen events. And, you know, when Rafa first won Roland Garros, the rest of the world was like, who's this kid in green with white job? And tennis channel which was a small fan base at the time i think we had three million people were like expecting him to win yeah right as many of your again your tennis fan you know listeners uh, yeah well 2005 was before the podcast time but yes i get i get i get get what you mean today they would no for sure 
for sure. So, but then the challenge that the question is, how do you get new people there when it becomes something a little bit structured more like a destination event, yeah. right? When you don't have, I feel like most tennis fans would have first stumbled across tennis from seeing it somewhere where they were most, before they knew they liked it, right? Whereas yeah. I feel like Tennis Channel, the viewers are almost all people who would already know they liked and loved tennis, right? How do you, when you are going to the same, obviously you're probably in this depth of coverage, but how do you get it to a, a wider audience? How do you continue to get new people into the flock when you are an exclusive home that's sort of a dedicated yeah. channel to tennis that wouldn't, if someone doesn't like tennis, they would probably would not turn into Tennis Channel. They don't think they like tennis, put it that way. You have asked the, the core philosophical question that we have had a contrary answer to, hmm. and that the ATP deal is the ultimate, it's not only not a gamble, it is, it is the final, it's not the final, because there's always something else, but the, the, the rounding the corner of answering, of proving the, uh, the an, antithetical thesis to the, 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 the opposite of that, which is that your chance of developing a fan by throwing a match in the middle of traffic of a general entertainment sports network with one or two matches, even a whole tournament, we bet on, and I believe have now proven more than conclusively, are, is far less than if you have an always on presence with broad distribution, right, that is doing nothing but constantly finding ways to do what you said, which is not fulfill demand or get lucky, but create demand. And every day, what our 200 Tennis Channel teammates do is wake up figuring out not only how to satisfy tennis, if we're not satisfying the tennis fan, you know, be fired a long time ago. It's introducing new people to the game, right? So, and if you want to get technical, because I know you got a lot of people in the industry who, who, who listen to this as well mm -hmm. and subscribe, it's a little bit of, of a myth and old fashioned thinking at this point. Now, there is always some benefit to singular scale occasionally. Don't get me wrong. Right. And being on a platform that offers broad distribution, we we pioneered the shared networks model. There's a point where it started becoming. Let when once we got to broad distribution, um, we believe the table turned. And the reason is our distribution is no. I mean, there's a few less. There are less homes. Right. There are 20 million less homes with us than an ESPN with the core network distribution. Mm -hmm. No question about that. But, you know, if you look, for example, at who watches a, a single sport network, as an example, let's forget about NBC for a second, who's got their, or a CBS or any broadcast network, it's even right. harder. You're going to get one promo, you know, like it, you just have to literally be in the lead in show or an already fan. But that audience is hardcore male, usually a little more. Not as broad, actually, in any way, shape, or form as the tennis audience. And, and so we have had, you know, you've seen it happen, Ben. We have seen Roland Garros first include us, then we took over, then we took over the ESPN piece. They were nervous when we took over that big chunk of the quote-unquote cable package. Yeah. Which is everything but the 12 to 
20 hours at the time that, ES, that uh, NBC had. And we did far, far bigger overall numbers because we can get to people. We spend all year finding ways to interest people versus let's just say that I discovered tennis because I was at watching the US Open on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Where do I go next to watch more? It, let's just say we're not here. Nowhere was the answer. People yeah. would get excited on Labor Day, the barbecue. Oh my God, I forgot how great this sport is. I love it. I'm in love. We've been watching it for two weeks. We've lived it. Our family's watching. I'm watching with my kids. Isn't it great? And then see you next year because that's what CBS had maybe a couple of time buys, right? Whereas what we're doing is we're making movies like Strokes of Genius. We make features. We actually, this Roland Garros, I mean, think about this. We had Tennis Channel, round the clock 24 seven. And let's not take that for granted, right? With all the light, we had a 15 hour day where our crew, because the lights were there now this year, this was unbelievable, but I, they, sh- you know, they show up at eight for the rehearsals and get ready. We're on li- some and we're live at 11. Walked out of there with with the announced team with Lindsay and Ted Robinson. Martina had left a little bit earlier and and Jim Courier and Brett Haber at 1.50 a.m. All live tennis. Yeah. Right. And when that's over. Don't move a muscle because whenever you tune in, it's there for you. This is the only sport that is always on. And so all we do is spend our time going off platform. So we had Tennis Channel. We had Tennis Channel Plus doing the better part of 16 courts of coverage where you could choose what you wanted. We had a separate sort of net tennis channel on our sister regional sports networks that were in 85 million Right. I had, a, I had a friend who was who was watching uh, is a baseball fan who was watching some French Open on Masson, which is the local DC. Yes, exactly. Where I mean, he usually watches the Orioles. Um, right. Exactly. And that, that was part the of the first player network. Yeah, exactly. So that was the first time. So we're we're putting it on a platform where we can now tell that audience where to go to find more. Okay. And after they fall in love with somebody. You mentioned Strokes of Genius, which I was going to mention, because in this article, which Matt Futterman for The Times did, writing about this new deal, he quotes Andrea Godenzi, who's the new head of ATP first year. And he and Godenzi talks about falling in love with NBA from watching uh, the Michael Jordan documentary this year, Last Dance. Yeah. And that seems obviously that's one way to do it. And it's sort of a new streaming way. I mean, does Tennis Channel have more plans to sort of take advantage of I mean, I feel like documentaries are more in now. Streaming is more in now. If yeah. you guys could get some tennis titles onto Netflix or, or Prime yeah. or Hulu, whatever Absolutely. else people are watching, is that something you guys are, are trying to do to get more So more we have, content first like of that? all, that quality of storytelling. And I actually was with Andrea. I, had, I flew on the Monday before Super Tuesday, March 2nd or 3rd, whatever it was, to London to meet him because I wanted to get there before Indian Wells, having no idea. I literally flew overnight, went yeah. straight to his office. We were like, I mean, he he has a vision. He's fantastic. He and Massimo and his team standing on the shoulders of some people, who, great people who came before. But I, you know, I really believe we had a very similar kind of view. And the answer is we've been doing it and we will continue to do it. You know, we were... Strokes of Genius was the, I think, the somewhere around the 15th 
document. Remember, barnstormers, we've done individual docs on everyone from the first big one was Agassiz Between the Lines, which mm -hmm. preceded the book. But whether it is a two hour film, and let's talk about how what you just said, I think we'd like, you know, we'll take a little credit for having preceded that strategy. Here's what we did with Strokes of Genius, which was a story of the nature of rivalry in all of us and, and how rivalries create, you know, the greatest performances of, of, of in the world and written by a, a colleague of yours, John Wertheim. Mm -hmm. And it's a book. And we said, that is a film. And it's the 10 year anniversary. And they're back on top again with six sequential alternating majors to their name. But we made that film with some of the best filmmakers in the business. And we and Wimbledon as a partner. So we had the first access to anyway, very proud of it. Please. Here's what we did. Premiered on Tennis Channel leading into our Wimbledon coverage. We then syndicated it on Sinclair, Tribune, and other television stations in key time periods. It then ran uh, on the weekend, the middle weekend. It then ran, I'm sorry, then on the first week of Wimbledon, it also ran on the CW network, where we positioned it as a real life superhero movie. And literally they were taking green arrow footage and mixing it in <laughs> and, and it was cool, right? And by the way, our fastest growing demo is young viewers, both young adults and and teens even with baseline, we'll come back to that. And then we ran it again on the TV stations. Then we ran it again on Tennis Channel. And then we made it available with a bunch of extra content if you wanted to buy it and own it on Apple, iTunes. Yeah. And, so, and then we syndicated it worldwide. And all of those things pointed back, we had a couple goals. One was just to make the greatest tennis movie we possibly could and maybe one of the great ones of all time and to illustrate not only their rivalry, but Chrissy and Martina and, 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 and Bjorn and, and, and John, and they were all in the film, but also to bring attention in a different way to people who didn't know what end of a racket to hold, yeah. to what the fuss is about with this sport, because it is like any great programming, it's different. And so you have to develop the taste. That was very much made to open the funnel. I think it. I think it did, and I all four. I remember I, I use this example a lot. I was playing. I played the other sport. I played when I was a kid better than tennis. My tennis was hockey, and I remember oh. I was at the age where I could see all the kids who started playing hockey after the Mighty Ducks movies came out, and yep. so I remember oh. that like being that kind of thing that hockey as a sport didn't pay for, but couldn't you can't buy that kind of attraction to the sports. I want to ask a couple other run a little short sure. on time. But I want to ask a couple of quick things uh, during this pandemic twenty twenty sports ratings across the world of sports yeah. have been way down. On yeah. TV, I mean, forty-five percent down for the U.S. Open on ESPN, forty-two mm -hmm. percent uh, down for U.S. Open golf, forty-three percent down Kentucky Derby, thirty-seven percent down yeah. NBA Finals, forty um, percent mm -hmm. down baseball playoffs around there. I assume there was probably some similar attrition for French Open for you. I'm just curious why why you think this is why people. I don't know if it's just oversaturation, all these things happening at once, or or um, what's what's going on with sports. If, if people just aren't in the mood for sports, if people lost their appetite during this stoppage time, or, or what's going on from your perspective? Yeah. Um, I I have a very uh, specific th uh, thought about this, and yeah, look, I start this by saying I actually began my career in the research department at Paramount for a, which for a guy who didn't really like math in school wasn't exactly my forte. Um, taught me a lot about data and and, and thinking about audiences and how to. 
And, you know, we're a society now when you say, how, hey, how was the movie? Someone will tell you the box office, you know, instead of like what they thought of the film, right? We keep score. It's what we do and we gauge mm -hmm. it. And people walking down the street will tell you, ah, the ratings are down. What's going on? And, and it's a real issue. And it certainly has huge financial implications and implications for the sport and all of the sports. But I say this, forget about comps. Research is, and ratings right now are but a data point. Life is, there is nothing similar in what's going on this year for any sport or any piece of entertainment. And let's yeah. talk about not only the fact they're all happening at the same time, but the pipe to a consumer to tell them what is even happening. You're out of pattern. The habits that you've had since your great grandparents watched, you know, college football with you or the US Open or Roland Garros are all disrupted. We're confused. We're in a pandemic where we are compelled to watch the news either for our own health and safety or because of the craziness that's going on with the election and politics. Mm -hmm. And nobody even knows what day it is. So I, I think that while we all have to adjust to the losses and look, we, we actually felt really good because our losses were less. And, and over the scheme of things, we were also hugely up versus the time period a year ago. I mean, you know, we were up like double digits by, but, but Ben, look, we grew 65% in the last full year, 19 versus 18, 69 in young adult viewership. So mm -hmm. we, are, we see a pattern. What's happening right now, it's just complicated. Everyone should do the best that they can and look at the research within the scheme of this year as its own universe. And there will be patterns that are disrupted and change. I wouldn't say that people have said, I don't want to watch sports. Everything is confusing. No one knows what day it is. And they will be back. I have zero doubt. When the world right? gets back, they'll be back. Yeah, and that's yeah. going to take some time. And we've got other things. And if it isn't, then we got a lot bigger things to worry about. <laughs> last, last question for you. Um, there was a bunch of different stuff that popped up during the pandemic in terms of programming that you guys were you guys were kind of showing everything uh, yes. that was available to show in tennis in during the stoppage. Yeah. Some of it was more experimental than others, and like I'm yeah. thinking of the the more toggly league, the, the UTR thing, which had all sorts yeah. of different innovations and fake crowd noise and different you know bonus cards and things like that going yes. on and with with this whole with this pitch behind it from Patrick that was saying like tennis needs to adjust to a younger audience and needs to change. Yeah. As someone who 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 is obviously something of a traditionalist showing the sport forever, but also a network executive who cares about, you know, growing the sport and so on. What do you think tennis is can tennis afford to have inertia on these sort of things? Does it need change? Does it really not need change? Should it reject those sort of ideas? What do you what yeah. do you make of that last thing? I think first of all, when Patrick who did a I, I want to just start by saying I think he and the team did a and I'm not saying this by any means to be nice to Patrick, quite the opposite. We're, we rib each other and he's a, he's a, mm -hmm. an amazing guy in his own right. And, you know, I could go off on that, but I think they really delivered. Let's start there. Okay. But on the concept, the first thing is that we're different than every other broadcaster in the world, right? When it comes to tennis. So a lot of people are trying to solve problems for the traditional broadcaster. Like we just talked about, we don't need solve. Number one, number two, when he says, Oh, it's getting old and it's dying. I said, well, you haven't looked at our numbers. It truly is phenomenal. The next highest growth network with adults 18 to 49 last year was, I think, 4%. We were up 69% in total 
actual impressions for the year. And the year before was a record-breaking year, 18 versus 17. And by the way, in 19 versus 18, we didn't even have increased distribution. So that's just a lot of things going right and building momentum with a sport that's exciting if you can just make it available to people. So that's number one. It's always a virtue for every type of programming to continue to cultivate young audiences. Mm -hmm. And I say the answer is yes and yes, which is on the one hand, we're traditionalists. I mean, don't ever take away a five set content. I mean, are you kidding me? That's a different three out of five, three out of five is something that is wholly different. And I don't need to tell you versus two out of three. And yet, so we have room for all of that tradition, which I don't, we don't need to change. Longer is better, as long as the players don't fall over in it, right? I mean, you have an isner Mahu issue, with, you know, which we stood and watched for three days. I'm sure isner Mahu got great ratings, by the way. But it, yeah, I mean, it's- As a freak show, but yes, it did. It, it's, and, and they do, ratings don't go down in the third set versus the second, they sure don't go down in the fourth versus the third, and they never go down in the fifth versus the fourth. Even if it's a blowout, there's so many stakes, you have to watch it. Yeah. Okay. But is innovation in addition great? Sure. I think the idea, like it's just, the again, there are these myths to some degree that one thing has to replace another. TV didn't replace movies and eliminate them. The, the, the VCR and time shifting didn't, it increased viewing, right? Streaming networks didn't really, I mean, there's evolution and there's changes. Mm -hmm. It's more, and I think that new ways of doing tennis and his thing is to focus on young talent, bring out the personality. Some of the cards will be yes, no, but I'll tell you, one of the things nobody talks about is just the fact that they brought that camera down. That was and, nice. And, and to not have the traditional A camera position but to bring that down here and say, you know, we're just going to follow it. That gave you a level of feel, even though you didn't get the geometry and you didn't see everything that brought something different. So I say yes and yes. There's room. He's certainly not looking to replace. He'll say, I want to change the world. But I think it's, if nothing else, feeding the yeah. traditional ecosystem. And we got all the room in the world for it because we got, you know, we're doing it not only in the U.S., but worldwide now. You got 24 hours a day to fill and you got more good things to fill it with. Ken, got to wrap up here, but thank you very much for your time. We we'll talk way really longer. Really appreciate for sure. it for everything all year long. We'll see you out on the road one day soon, hopefully. <laughs> I hope so. Thanks, Ken. But thanks, my friend. Right. Bye -bye. So thank you to Ken. Thank you to all of you for listening to NCR. And thank you to those of you who have been backing us on Patreon, especially including our new backers since our last episode, Alexandra McCraith. Chanel E. Erickson and Faye Woods. And thank you to our Slam Champ backers we thank on every episode. They are Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Trong Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber, as well as our GOAT backers, Mike J.O.D., Nicole Copeland, and Charles Cena. One note on Patreon, we've had a few people in recent weeks who backed us on our Patreon and then unbacked us within minutes or hours of their backing decision. It's entirely possible that people quickly rethought their decision to back us, which, fair enough, but my guess is more likely that these people wanted to make a one-time contribution. Um, but the way our Patreon works, and, and most Patreons work, is that you only get charged at the start of each month, not when you sign up. So you, if you back and then unback before 
the calendar flips over to a new month, you don't pay anything, we don't get anything in terms of support. So you'll get an alert or receive the beginning of each month after you're charged, so it won't sneak up on you. And one thing we do like actually about Patreon as a means of listener support, aside from keeping us independent, uh, is that listeners basically get to choose every month whether or not they want to opt out of further supporting us. If you're no longer feeling us or have other reasons you don't want to or cannot further contribute to the show, you can choose to check out or bail every month. But we hope you don't, and thank you many many times over to all of you who have backed us in the past and who might in the future, we are at patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. We also really, 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 Courtney and I both hope you vote November 3rd, fast approaches for American listeners. So please make a plan to vote ideally in person, ideally early, or to drop off your ballot that you may have already received in the mail at a polling place, if possible. American listeners, please do it. We really appreciate it. The world would be better for it. Bye, guys. Okay, guys, I'm going over here and get my judge. I got my grown folks' hair on. I got my uh, savage clothes on. I'm ready for this damn heat. And I'm ready for these people. Because I'm going to vote. And ain't shit going to stop me. Not this sun. Not this heat. And y'all need to go on on and get y'all judge and get y'all vote on. Because let me show you. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going to get my damn jush. They could stand out there for 15 hours. I got my chair. They could stand out there for 24 hours. I got my snacks. I ain't going to play with these hoes. I'm going to vote. And I said, you go vote too.